What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Jake Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Brainy. This is episode 34 of the Jake. So 34, that is Isaiah Crowell's number, which is ironic because we're going to be talking running backs today. It's my top five list. Uh, now that we're diving into draft season, I want to get into my position groups. And I was going to start with quarterback, but I want to give that a lot more time because of the importance it is to the Browns this year, and the fact that there are so many guys that are vying to be in the top 10 picks at the quarterback position alone. So I'm going to wait for that a little down the road, but I'm going to start today with running backs. Um, the state of the Browns right now with running backs is they have Isaiah Crowell, but he's going to be a free agent. They tried signing him last year and couldn't come to an agreement which I think is okay because he didn't improve at all this year. He didn't impress anybody. I know we didn't really commit to the run game at all. Uh, I was really disappointed in, in the run game this year. But, I mean, if he had proven to be improving and impressing, they probably would have ran it more. So, uh, I, you know, in, in that regards, I can see them letting him go. There's going to be a lot of teams that will probably be willing to pay him that, the money he wants. And I think the Browns would be better off spending that elsewhere. DB, possibly O-line if Joe Thomas retires. I'll touch on that later. Um, quarterback, if there's a veteran quarterback that can come in. Yeah, they, they have a lot of money already, but I don't think committing it to Isaiah Crowell is is going to happen. I, and, I don't, and, you know, it, it, I hope he goes out and gets his money elsewhere. I, I you know, wish him the best luck. But he's the starter, and it looks like he'll be gone. Duke Johnson is the backup. I think he's the possibly the best backup running back in the NFL. I know it's you know it's tough you know because the Saints have their great duo and you know Minnesota has a nice you know I mean everyone's forgetting that they had Dalvin Cook as their starter and they have two backups that they're carrying right that right now. Uh, the Eagles have a good running back core, so a lot there are a lot of really good running back cores, but Duke Johnson is possibly the best receiving running back in the NFL. And he shows it when they give him the chance. They never give him the ball, though. So we aren't given an opportunity to see how good Duke Johnson actually is. Other than that, the Browns have two guys, Terrence McGee, Darius Jackson, who didn't play at all this season, and Matt Days, who was a seventh-round pick, rookie this past year. He was the second-to-last pick in the draft right before uh, um, uh, Chad Kelly. Uh, Chad Kelly was Mr. Irrelevant for the Broncos this year, and didn't you know that didn't turn into anything but days stayed on the roster the whole season he was a kick returner for part of it he got a couple snaps here and there actually had a uh, like a ton of plays the first game of the year it looked 20 plays or something and uh and then just saw like 10 the rest of the season so we don't really know what we have with those three guys so it looks like duke johnson will be back as like really the only player that's done anything at the position for the browns it, you know, assuming Crowell leaves. So assuming that's the case, the Browns will be looking for a starting running back. There are going to be a couple in free agency that they can go after. I like guys like Rex Burkhead, Deion Lewis, Jarek McKinnon are free agents that, you know, if you couple that with Duke Johnson and a rookie, you might be, you know, you might have a nice setup going. Carlos Hyde is also a free agent. Frank Gore is a free agent. And the big one, obviously, is Levon Bell. I think uh, the Steelers are going to lose him unless they really change some stuff with their roster as is. They're going to have to cut some guys, some restructure some contracts if they want to hold on to Lev Bell. Uh, 
or else I think Bell goes to possibly San Francisco, who's got a ton of money, and they're going to have their quarterback of the future, so why not go get... And they're not going to get the number one pick at running back, and I'll get into that in a minute. So I could see Bell leaving Pittsburgh, and that'd be a big one. But the draft is where running back is this year. You know, forget about free agency. Go get yourself a 22-year-old who is going to change your franchise. There are some real players this year at running back. And I'll start at number five and work my way down. And this was a really tough top five because, you know, there are possibly eight guys, you know, that you can look at to be top two round picks or so. And I think a lot of people will have different top fives than this. I could see it going a lot of different ways. But uh, right now, this is how I have it. So a couple guys that I want to give like special shout-out to because I think they're going to be sleepers in this draft. This is a really heavy running back class, so I think there can be a lot of good players added on day two and day three after the bigger names have gone. One guy I like is Ito Smith out of Southern Miss. Uh, he's a smaller back than, than these top five that I have, but... Uh, he shows like a lot of agility, and uh, his highlight reel is pretty impressive. A lot of people like to compare him to Tariq Cohen. Um, I think that's fair, uh, you know, because he's recent, and you know, a lot of people have seen Tariq Cohen a lot this year. So maybe uh, you know, there's a better, better one out there because Cohen is like kind of like you know really special. Uh, but Ido Smith, I'll be looking forward to seeing him more throughout the offseason. And another one is Rock Thompson from Jacksonville State. Uh, I, I haven't seen a whole lot on him, but that guy looks like he could be one of those real late picks, uh, you know, possibly day three, like four to six. He's not 200 pounds. He's another slighter guy, but he, you know, really showed off this year. Uh, as a senior, I, I'd really like to see him in his, like, all-star game, you know, it, coming up next week and go from there because I think that's one of the sleepers. So there's a lot of guys that I could have included in my top five. Um, since since that is the case and it was really hard to decide, my fifth spot is going to be a tie. 5A and 5B. So 5A, I'm going with Rashad Penny, running back, San Diego State. A lot of people have heard the name. They haven't seen him a whole lot. But if you turn on the film, he's a really smart runner. He's big. He's 220 pounds. He's almost six feet tall. He's a tough load to bring down. This is not Donnell Pumphrey from last year, you know, a guy that was scatting around, you know, bumping off people and just, you know, flying all over the place. This is a very different runner. And I didn't realize that until the end of the season when I finally got to see him play. But you see a 220-pound running back that's also taking off kick returns I'd really like to see what he weighs in and his speed at the combine because he kind of looks like he has the whole package. His vision really sticks out to me, and I could see him going in the second round. All these guys I can see going in the second round. The top two I would see going in the first round. But uh, so so that's Rashad Penny, San Diego State, and the other one I think I have him tied with is Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle, everyone knows from the playoffs, uh, seeing him rip up Oklahoma and then not even get enough chances against Bama. But when he did, you know, everyone likes this guy. He flies, but he split time with Chubb and they had 
I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the freshman's name, but a freshman that was kind of cutting into time at the end of the year. Not to mention that they actually had a good passing game too, Georgia, which a lot of people kind of thought they'd just run the ball. So they uh, they did more than that end of the season. But I'd really like to see Sony Michelle going forward. I didn't want to disinclude him from this list. I really wanted him to be on here because I think he's going to come up in the rankings and pass my number four guy eventually. So uh, I, But right now, this is how I have him, this 5B. Number four is Carrion Johnson out of Auburn. Uh, another guy that not a lot of people saw a lot because he came into the year as the backup. You know, a lot of people forget that when the season started, Cameron Petway was the starter. You know, and Petway is 240 pounds, a much different running back than Carrion Johnson. He's 30 pounds less. He's around 210. But the way Carrion Johnson runs, he could he could be a very nice player going forward too. Um, again, I think he seems like someone that hasn't really been checked out a whole lot yet. Uh, but I'm really excited to, to watch him play. He's... I think going to fall in my rankings going forward just because I'm really high on some of the other guys right now. And Carrion Johnson kind of came on late and, and shined late in the season with the big games against Bama and uh and and uh, and Georgia. So he was he was a workhorse this year and then was a big part of that. It'll be really interesting to see him go forward because this was kind of the bust out. He had almost nine hundred yards last year. But uh, this was the big one. So that was number four is Carrion Johnson out of Auburn. Number three, this is where I'm starting to get like really excited, right? Ronald Jones Jr. out of USC. Uh, it's not just the dreads that remind me of Kareem Hunt, but he reminds me of a lot of Kareem Hunt, but even like like more in shape. I don't know what it is about Kareem Hunt. He kind of looks like he has a belly sometimes. But Ron Jones... It just tumbles forward in like the smoothest way and is really shifty. I think he's going to be a starter right out the gate. I think he's like a top 40 pick. The other two guy, the other three guys that I mentioned, I think will be second round picks. I think Ronald Jones is going to be like one of the top five picks on day two. I think he can be really good. He's a little bit less weight wise than the other guys I mentioned. He's right around 200, but and, the, and he didn't have a lot of receptions in college, but he has 3,000 yards in the last three years. He has over 30 touchdowns. He only had two fumbles. He gets the ball a lot. He obviously has a lot of explosiveness, and he looks like a really smooth runner that I think, depending upon where he goes, he could be a factor his rookie year. You know, if this is... If you're one of those teams that are drafting, drafting in the top 10, you don't get that special running back you wanted, and you have a second-round pick... Ronald Jones Jr. might be the way to go. I think he's going to be really good. Number two is Darius Geis. Geis, I think, is one of my favorite players in this draft. Uh, out of LSU, he's from Baton Rouge. His story is insane. His brother is like in and out of prison growing up. His dad was shot and killed when he was five. So he had to kind of grow up real fast. A lot of people think he's cocky. I don't know where they see that from because when you really hear him talk and when you see him play and you hear him in the press conferences, you're really impressed by this kid who's just like, kind of just like an adult. You know, on the field, he'll, you know, do the first down marker. He'll do a little dance here and there. He'll like, you know, spike the ball. But I, I think it's just a passion for the game. Someone, I don't know where I read this, but someone compared him to Ray Rice. I thought that was a pretty good one. I see him more like a combination of Doug Martin and Duke Johnson. And I was just talking about Duke Johnson before. I don't see... 
a whole lot. Not like the it's there's no perfect match for Geist because of just he he seems like this this really cool like combination of the two guys. I like his running style. I think that's like similar to Martin's from when he was coming out of college. But I think he's in the shape of like a Duke Johnson with the elusiveness. And the way he fights on the field also reminds me of Duke Johnson a lot. I think Geist is going to be a first-round pick. I think he might sneak into the teens, maybe the low 20s. Uh, I am I would love the Browns to go up and get him, you know, trade up back into the first round to make like a third first-round pick. I think he's really good. He's a step down from my number one guy, but I also think he's a step up from the rest of the pack. I think Jones, Carrion Johnson, Michelle, Penny, and even guys like Adams are all in that second tier, and I think Geis is like 1A as opposed to this number one guy, which is, everyone knows, Saquon Barkley. I mean, you know, if you haven't seen him play, I find that pretty crazy because he was on TV like every five seconds this year. Um, but if you haven't and you're wondering what makes him so good, it's that he does literally, and this this came right from Daniel Jeremiah, who might be the best scout in the business. He literally does everything Alvin Kamara does. And you saw Alvin Kamara this year as a rookie make 80-plus catches, was found the end zone, was a kick returner, was was a like ran the ball really well, like heavy inside the tackles. And yet he's got 25 pounds, possibly maybe less, maybe like like 15 to 20 pounds on Alvin Kamara. And Kamara had a great rookie year and was the rookie of the year. Uh, but Saquon Barkley is just special. You know, you you turn on the tape, you see what he can do. As a kick returner, he is elite. You know, and this remember this guy weighs 230 pounds. He his leaping ability is right in line with Zeke Elliott. He is a good pass protector. He's got incredible hands. His stop and start is is something that gets overlooked. He can stop on a dime and change direction faster than than anyone. Uh, you know, if if you're comparing him to Fournette and Zeke Elliott, he has them in that by far. His burst and agility is also like perfect. The moment he stops and starts, he's like a Lamborghini, like zero to sixty real fast, and just is just a playmaker from all over the field. He's gonna be a top three pick. And, and I like I'm you know I I know I'm not going on a huge limb here, but it's January 18th, and I'm pretty certain that he won't get past the Colts. Both the Giants and the Colts have kind of hinted at him being on their list as like the top guy. We shall see how his like interviewing skills go, but honestly, the kid, every time you hear him talk to, he seems like a great kid. And every pro comparison is Marshall Falk, Edron James, or Bo Jackson. It's crazy what everyone sees in him. They're like, he's basically Adrian Peterson coming out of college, but he didn't have a horrible knee injury in college. He is the strongest player on the Penn State team and almost the fastest, too, if not the fastest. And that's insane to say that. You look at his legs, and they're like tree trunks. And this is a running back that's fast, too. So Barkley, he's going to be a game changer at the next level. He'll be like rookie of the year. Um, I would love if the Browns got him. I think uh, <laughs> at first I'd be concerned because I don't think they would use him well because I was begging them to run the ball all year, and so was everyone, and they still didn't. And 
the way they played Jabril Peppers 50 yards off the line of scrimmage, you're thinking, wow, why did we draft this guy 25th overall if we're barely going to use him? And David Njoku, so, you know, he, he didn't get as much time as he should have. So right now the questions with the Browns front office and head coach is, are you playing these guys the right way? You know, we went out and we got these superstar players with like superstar potential and it seems like they weren't given a chance to shine. You know, you got this fancy new toy for your birthday, yet you never unwrapped it. You just put it on the shelf and let it sit there and look cool, but you never did anything with it. So that's my concern if the Browns draft Barkley. Now, if they draft him first overall, they're obviously going to use him. They're not going to take the first overall pick and not use him. Uh, I think he's worth the first overall pick. I think you have a guy that there's just like no bustability there. You know, obviously anything can happen with injury, knock on wood, but when it comes to safe players, smart players who have the physical abilities, the mental toughness, and just the awareness that it takes to play in the NFL, there's a few guys that stick out. Saquon Barkley, Penn State. Uh, Quentin Nelson, Notre Dame, the guard, who is an RBC alum. Shout out, Casey's. I think he's going to be a stud too. Bradley Chubb, the D-end out of NC State, and Minka Fitzpatrick, the free safety out of Bama. Those seem like the safest picks in this draft. I know the quarterbacks will probably go ahead of a couple of those guys. There are five quarterbacks that you could argue could be top five picks right now, and there's a lot to go there, but quarterbacks always have that bustability. There's no Andrew Luck. There's no Peyton Manning this year. This is... Uh, you know, there's a question mark on each one of these quarterbacks. So uh, going forward, it'll have to be, you know, it'll be really interesting to check out the quarterbacks. But uh, with running backs, this is a great group. And I'm really excited because I had to include six in my top five. I didn't even talk about Josh Adams from Notre Dame, Royce Freeman from Oregon, Nick Chubb, the you know the other running back from Georgia. You know, he doesn't get enough love, but, you know, we, he was injured a lot. Uh, L.J. Scott from Michigan State's another one that's that's going to be he's going to be drafted. He might be like the tenth running back drafted. Uh, there are two that sat out uh, this draft. Bryce Love is going back to Stanford for a senior year. He could have been right in this list. He probably would have been a top forty pick. I would have had him ahead of Carryon Johnson, but right behind Darius Geis as my number three. So he goes back to school. Also, Damian. Uh, Oh my gosh, uh, I, I want to say Damian Harris. Yeah, Damian Harris from Bama is going back to school as well. But Bo Scarborough is going pro. He could be another draft pick. Uh, like I said, Ido Smith, I think, will be a late-round pick to w keep your eyes on. And if you want to watch another one, Rock Thompson. And uh, finally, another one, if you want to keep on checking out the film, Naheem Hines from NC State. He's another small one. Uh, he only really got this year to show off because Matt Days was the starting running back last year and went pro. And then this year he comes out with 1,100 yards and 12 touchdowns. I think Hines is another one that will go in the mid-rounds. It'll be interesting to check out. But this is a really good running back class. If you need a running back and I was running your team, I wouldn't invest much in one of these free agents. I would go out and get one of these guys in the second or third round because it seems like they can all be like bell cow running backs in the NFL. It's really exciting. I I know there's a lot of film left to be done, but I think it's going to be my favorite position group going into the draft 
just because of so many guys being able to change their franchise that aren't even going to be day one picks. I think I'm going to hold off a quarterback for a couple weeks, but cornerback will be another one that's supposed to be really good this year. Wide receiver, I'm a little down on so far, but it'll be a lot of fun. Next week, I'll do a different top five on a different position group. Maybe I'll go O-line. Who knows? You'll have to check back in. So, what else is in the news this week? Apparently, the NBA is now the softest league in the world. And that's kind of been like a proven thing for a while, right? Like every time you see NBA players, they're, you know, they're just acting all tough and they talk to them, talk trash to the media. It's practically like the e-network, but playing basketball. Now it's gone way overboard. There were three fights this week. And then I think there was another one tonight that I missed, but the first big, the big one that everyone heard of was the Clippers Rockets one where it was Chris Paul's return to the Staples Center. Uh, the Rockets lost to the Clippers, who, you know, Rockets are a lot better than the Clippers this year. And there was just a lot of jawing going back and forth during the game. You know, Blake Griffin was talking trash. He was, like, you know, complaining to the refs about fouls, which, like, I mean, I know I'm a Cavs fan. I know the Cavs complain a lot too. Like, I hate when people complain to the refs so often. It's just like, I'm just over it. But that game, there was a lot of complaining to the refs. There was a lot of jawing back and forth with the benches. Uh, apparently, Austin Rivers and uh, and Patrick Beverly are the biggest trash talkers because they are constantly in the ears of the other players. Even if they're not in the game or, like, even eligible to play even if they're like injured they're still talking shit and it's so frustrating to see that because you're like what the hell dude like who cares so in this game there was a lot of trash talking a couple guys were uh dismissed at the end of the game you know trevor reza was john harden was john and chris paul was john and then after the game paul led gerald green ariza and i think it was harden as well through these like back tunnels in the Staples Center and tried to sneak into the LA locker room to confront Blake Griffin and Rivers. It's like, what, you're going to fight them? Apparently they called the LAPD to stop this from happening. And this is where Shaq and Charles Barkley lost their shit after the show, which is so funny. On TNT, these two guys, you got to check it out online, Shaq and Barkley are like, you know, and these are two guys that actually did fight, like 90s basketball, when everyone was physical and everyone fought, you know, they actually did fight. So then they see these guys, and Shaq's making fun, he's like, he's like hello, hello, LAPD, uh, Chris Paul's coming to beat me up. It's like, just seeing this happen, these guys are naturally laughing, they're not faking it, they, like, are legit laughing their asses off at this whole thing. So that was the first fight. Then there was Toronto and Philly, Kyle Lowry and Ben Simmons are jawing at each other to meet in the alley, or not in the alley, in the tunnel. And like, are you are seriously gonna fight too? Lowry was tossed out in Philly. He's a Philly kid, and he, you know, he's now in the Raptors, but you know, came up, went to school in high school in Philly, went to Villanova. So he's kind of like a legend around there. And uh, uh, my friend Zach told me it was the first time he's been tossed in Philly, or in Wells Fargo since he was like a senior in high school. So, you know, pretty funny tidbit there. But they were they were John. Then Aaron Aflalo, who I don't even know who he plays for, tried taking a swing at a guy too in another game. And it's like, what is happening? I think that was uh, Belinka from Minnesota. They tried, he like pulled a haymaker 
whiffed completely. So my thought is, A, the guy's never punched anything in his life if he misses that badly. Or B, he's missing on purpose uh, because he's just, like, you know, like trying to talk shit and look tough. Either way, it's just a bad look if you are missing a punch that badly. So, and, and it's like, it's all about just, you know, he boxed him out a little too long. It's like, what is everyone's problem? And there was another one where, God, who was it? Someone was boxing out someone and knocked him over. And then the guy had to be like restrained. And I feel like I'm embarrassed at this. Like I see this and I'm like, if my own teammate comes in and tries to like start a fight just to like look like he's protecting me, I wouldn't even believe it because I feel like half of these NBA players, more than half, almost all of these NBA players that are getting in these fights are just doing it to look tough. They're not doing it to actually defend their teammate. They're using the defense of the teammate as an excuse, kind of as a front to like get in this jawing match. I'm in a men's league on, Mon on Monday nights in Bradley Beach, and I play basketball. I have a lot of fun with it. A couple of my friends are in it, and I've become friends with a lot of the guys in the league. But on my team, there are three guys that are constantly getting technical fouls because they're yelling at the refs, and they're complaining about calls, and it's so frustrating to see this. And there's one of the guys who he's really good, but he gets in the face of other players, and you could see it coming from a mile away. You saw it, and I'm, t I'm not going to say his name. Let's call him AJ. And I'm seeing AJ, and I'm like, AJ, don't do it. Like, don't do it. I can see the fury in your eyes. He, like, has to show that he's a tough guy. Like, no one's questioning your toughness. No one cares about your toughness. And... Like, just move on. We want to play basketball. Like, you got hacked. You got fouled hard. You know, he was, you know, leading a fast break, and he stopped on a dime, and someone kind of, like, tackled him to the ground from behind. Like, the nicest person in the league did it. Apologized, helped him up, and then AJ gets in his face and is like, yo, man, like, you don't want to mess with me. You don't know who I am. It's like, no one cares. Like, at all. And this is the exact attitude I see from these NBA guys who just feel like they need to show up and show off. And it's so frustrating. It's why the NBA is my least favorite professional sports league that I follow. Um, I mean, there's always drama, you know, with the Cavs, which is frustrating because right now, you know, they won tonight, but they blew like a 20-point lead and just hung on against the Magic at home. Like, they're so much better than these teams that they're losing to. They just went on a 2-8 and eight stretch. I know it's January. And I know I say this like literally every January that like, okay, I'll care when they start to care, you know? So that's why I'm not panicking too much, but it's just too much drama, you know, in the NBA. The Cavs are always like at the center of the drama because LeBron's on their team and now a bunch of LeBron's buddies are on the team as well. And it's just, it breeds a little bit too much drama and you're going to see it throughout the rest of the seasons. The worst part about the NFL season ending is that, okay, that means you got to start paying attention to the NBA or NHL. Baseball cannot come soon enough. Yeah, so so that's a little NBA update. Uh, my little rant. I'm not a big fan of this whole like drama thing. I think if guys were actually allowed to fight, you'd laugh at both of them because I feel like no one knows how to fight. They just know how to look tough, and everyone sees through that anyway. You know, no one's buying it. I'm not buying it. So, moving on, you know, the Cavs fell apart. I'm not even looking at the standings. I haven't looked at the standings in, in three weeks. Uh, I'm sure they're much lower than second, which is the last time I looked, and it really doesn't matter because 
if they choose they want to play, I think they'll beat everybody in the East. Uh, I Again, I'll have reservations about them versus the West teams, Houston, Golden State, and the Spurs. Uh, but I still think they're better than Boston, Toronto, Washington, I, I, whoever else is in the East that's apparently pretty good. I think once LeBron turns it on and these guys all turn it on, they'll be fine come playoff time. But we'll check back on them later in the season. Baseball, nothing has changed. Absolutely nothing has tam- changed. Carlos Santana is no longer a Cleveland Indian. It's a real bummer. But uh, he went out and he got $20 million a year. So, you know what? Good for Carlos. Uh, I'm happy for him. I'm definitely going to go see him in Philly. That happened a couple weeks ago. No other things have happened. Garrett Cole and Andrew McCutcheon were traded from uh, from Pittsburgh. So McCutcheon went to the Giants. And Cole went to Houston. So Houston got a little bit stronger. Giants, uh, who also trade for Evan Longoria, look like they're not trying to rebuild. They're trying to compete right now. So NL West will be another really fun division to watch because it seems like all five teams are tooling up with big-time players trying to compete because apparently the Padres are trying to get like better fast. So we'll see how that goes. If everyone else is getting better, they might change their mind. But none of these guys have signed. Hosmer, Kane, Arietta. There are still a lot of really good free agents out there. They showed the top 15 free agents, and only two have signed, Santana and Shoatani, uh, for who's now in the Angels. And no one really knows what to expect from him because he's never played Major League Baseball before. He's played in Japan, where he's crushed it. And uh, usually the guys that crush it in Japan have done a good job over here. You know, Ichiro, uh, Matsui. You know, so there are a few guys that, you know, when they come over with the hype, uh, it, it has gone well, but there are a couple guys that didn't. You know, Dice K didn't really impress all that much. Uh, Tanaka, he's been up and down, like really up and down. Uh, he's shown that he's got ace ability, but also he's shown that he is just like bombs away sometimes. So we'll see how that goes with the Angels. But other than that, it's really surprising. We got pitchers and catchers coming in like two weeks. And there are so many top-of-the-line free agents. Maybe the coal trade will start to heat things up or or not. Who knows? So check back next week for a little Major League Baseball update. And then the NFL. Oh, the, really the only league that we can watch right now. Fortunately, the playoffs last Sunday were something special. Saturday night, Patriots rolled the Titans. What else is new? They're back in the AFC Championship game for, like, I think they said the seventh straight year that the Patriots are in the AFC Championship game. It helps when you roll through the AFC East and get a bye every year, so that means all you have to do is win your first game. And when you have a coach like Belichick and a quarterback like Brady, you should be able to win that game against one of those wildcard teams. And then the earlier game, the Eagles held on against the Falcons in what was a really ugly game. The Falcons... It was, this playoff was a perfect example of them as a team. They go into L.A. and play lights-out football and show that, oh, man, they can ride this to the Super Bowl. And then they go to Philly and they poop the bed, score 10 points, leave so many points on the field. It, they were such an inconsistent team this year that it makes sense that they had one really good game and one really bad game in the playoffs. So the, who will the Eagles and Patriots be meeting? 
Eagles will be playing the Minnesota Vikings, who won an absolute thriller against the Saints. Everyone thought that that was going to be the game of the weekend, and you were right. It was so much fun. The Vikings took a field goal lead under two minutes left, and you thought, man, that's a lot of time for Drew Brees. Drew Brees goes, marches the team down. They kick a field goal with, I think it was 42 seconds. Maybe it was a, maybe it was a minute and two seconds. He kicks a, they kick a field goal. They take the lead. And then Minnesota gets the ball. Two plays, okay? Their clock is winding down. It looks like it's not going to work out for them. Sean Payton is doing the skull clap to the fans, which is very interesting because Sean Payton's always been kind of like a reserved coach. And he kind of was... I mean, he dumped the Kool-Aid a little too early on himself. You know, the Gatorade bath came a little too early with the celebration because all they needed to do was get a completion down to about the 30-yard line. It was going to have to be about a 30, 40-yard completion but and get out of bounds because they're out of timeouts. They completed the pass to Stephon Diggs. All he had to do was step out. But Marcus Williams' defense as a free safety was so bad that he tackled his own guy and Diggs ran down the sideline for another 30-plus yards into the end zone. Time expires. Touchdown. Vikings win. They go to the NFC Championship game in Philadelphia. It was electric. I think it might be the best play I've ever seen considering what happened, right? So everyone wants to say, okay, what are the best football plays you've ever seen, right? Beckham. Touchdown tech catch is one of the greatest catches I've seen ever, but it was a regular season play. It wasn't the end of the game. A lot of things factor into it. It was like impressive beyond belief, but in terms of what it meant, it's not even close. Okay, so you move up. Give me playoff plays. David Tyree's helmet catch. I look at that as, I mean, obviously it's one of the most memorable playoff plays of all time, but A, it wasn't the game-winning touchdown. Uh, it had a lot of luck involved with it, and it wasn't just him. Oh, it, you know, we aren't just evaluating one player. We're evaluating the whole play. So it was really impressive for Eli to stay alive that whole time and complete the pass downfield. Tyree made the catch, pinning it against his helmet without the ball touching the ground. But it wasn't a touchdown. Uh, it wasn't as time expired. They still needed to make plays after that. So that's why I have the Diggs play slightly ahead, because this was the last play of the game. They needed the catch on this play, because on the Tyree one, if he didn't make that catch, they're still alive. But with this play, if he doesn't make that catch, they have time for one more Hail Mary, and that's it. Instead, makes the catch, turns it around, runs in for the touchdown, place goes electric, Vikings fans everywhere. Shout out to my cousin Brian Garrity. Uh, Vikings fans everywhere lose their minds, and it was so cool seeing that. Um, I think uh, yeah, like there are plenty of stuff on Twitter and Instagram if you want to check that out because you, you see a whole range of emotions from Saint fans and Viking fans. And I'm not talking about the gamblers, right? Everyone who gambles, you know, they sign up for heartbreak, you know, daily. You know, they like they, they change their they change with the tides. So I don't feel bad anytime I see someone passing out because oh my god, what a bad beat. And like I know a couple guys who gamble a lot and like, you know, I don't want to see them lose. I want to see them win money because that only helps me because I'm next to them. But 
you know, I, I don't feel bad for when, you know, guys have tough beats because it's like, well, you gambled. You know, last second changes from, oh, oh I, you know, I took USC. No, fuck it, I took Stanford. It's like, well, how am I supposed to, you know, ride with you? Like, instead, these Viking fans who stick with their team the whole time, those are the ones that I'm, like, watching for them. You know, so the true Viking fans is guys wearing, like, you know, the helmets, having, like, the horn to drink out of. Uh, I, my cousin Brian, who's a huge Vikings fan, I'm happy for him. Yeah, it was it was such a cool scene. Really something else. Uh and I'm looking forward to them in the NFC Championship game against the Eagles. And then in the AFC side, who's going to play the Patriots? Not the Steelers. That's all I cared about. No. But more than that, the Steelers, who were talking a lot of trash before the game, Le'Veon Bell tweeted out something like, oh, we're going to get our revenge game next week against the Patriots. And it's like, ooh, don't count your chickens before the hatch. They scored a lot of points. But the Blake Bortles offense couldn't be stopped. Um, and what a weird game. The Jags took a 21-0 lead and a 28-7 lead. Uh, but the Steelers hung in there, made it a game. They scored on multiple fourth downs where it was like, okay, they, this is like kind of desperation heave, and it worked out for them. The Jags played fierce defense but somehow gave up 42 points. They won 45-42. Uh, I know the last touchdown was, you know, in garbage. It literally has time expired when it didn't matter at all. They're up 10. But it, it was some game. We were fortunate to have, like, 12 touchdowns in the game. Fournette was a beast. Bortles was good enough. He didn't give the Steelers' defense a chance to make any plays. Uh, I, I know, like, a lot of people want to criticize him, and I don't think he's any good, but... The guy is in the AFC Championship game. He's never lost a playoff game. And the reason he's there is because he doesn't make mistakes. You know, he's not giving, you know, he's not Matt Schaub in it, you know, throwing balls that are going to be pick sixed immediately. He's not taking really bad sacks. He's running the ball well. I mean, I know it's not pretty, but there's a reason they're in the AFC Championship game. Now, he's going to have to go up to New England and face the Patriots and Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. I would. I think this could possibly, and I don't think I'm going out on too much of a limb here. If they beat the Patriots, it might be one of the biggest upsets of all time. Just because of what the Patriots are, uh, how hot they've been, who they have, and how quickly the Jaguars came up. They were a three-win team last year. And I know they hit on these free agents. They hit on these draft picks. You look at all of the big-time players for Jacksonville right now. And they're all acquired in the last three years. You know, Calais Campbell may be Defensive Player of the Year. He was acquired in free agency. Leonard Fournette is their bell cow running back. He was the fourth overall pick or whatever. Uh, you had Jalen Ramsey last year was a top five pick. Uh, Miles Jack last year was one of the first picks of the second round. And they have guys like... Sean Gibson that they got in free agency who actually didn't play all too well in the playoffs, but he's like their fourth best DB. A.J. Bouye had one breakout season for Houston, signs a giant contract. A lot of people think, okay, he's going to bust now. No, he had a great game. He, he didn't give up his first touchdown here until the playoffs, you know, until Antonio Brown had to make an incredible catch over the shoulder in perfect coverage, you know. So they hit on their free agents. They hit on their draft picks. The Jaguars 
are building the exact way the Browns are planning to build. Now, the Browns haven't gone and spent their, their free agency money, and they still haven't addressed the quarterback position. But then again, you know, I'd rather have the number one pick than Blake Bortles, right? You know, like think about that for a second. The Browns are going to address number one, now, we assume, the quarterback position with the number one pick. And they have the number four pick to either add a stud defender like Bradley Chubb or Minka Fitzpatrick or running back I spoke about earlier, Saquon Barkley. Now, let's think about that for a second. I know it's a lot to you know assume for a team that has only won one game the last two years. And believe me, I'm not blind to that. I know what they have done and what they haven't done. But they have nearly the most... I'll say the most, assuming San Francisco signs Jimmy Garoppolo, they will have the most cap space in the NFL. They might lose Joe Thomas. That's the big thing. Because, But if they do lose Joe Thomas, add in another $14 million in cap room. Because that's what Joe Thomas is going to make next year. So, I, I would hate for Joe Thomas to retire. He's my favorite football player of all time. I would hate to see him stop playing because... Of the injury that's that stopped his career, I'd like to see him go out there for another year and possibly be a part of this turnaround. Even though he's doing a great job podcasting with Andrew Hawkins, uh, if you haven't checked out the Tomahawk podcast, those guys are really funny. They have great NFL insight, and uh, they seem to be on their way to being like a really nice podcast. And I'm excited to see what guests they have on going forward. Maybe Super Bowl week they dip in and get a couple, uh, you know, other NFL players that'll be around the Super Bowl. I imagine they'll go to the Super Bowl. So if Joe Thomas retires, yes, they have that to address as well. But the Browns have a very young team. They have a lot of money and they have a lot of draft picks. They have some really interesting pieces on both offense and defense. If Josh Gordon can stay on the field, I know I'm saying this for like the thousandth time, but I'm still believing in the Browns. They just need to be able to put it all together because they're going to have all the puzzle pieces to put together a winning team the way Jacksonville's doing it. We'll see. Uh, in a couple months, free agency and the draft will be over, and I will have a much clearer vision of what the Browns will be like. But forget about the Browns for a second. Title games are coming up. AFC Championship game, Jaguars at Patriots. I have Patriots. I think it's going to be a really good game. I think the Jaguars might take an early lead. Kind of, uh, you know, punch them in the mouth. You know, take take a look at Goliath and, and uh, you know, give them a good, good run early on. Maybe a rushing touchdown by Fournette or just a really nice, long, solid drive where they punch the ball in the end zone. Maybe a Bortles play action. But I think, and I think their defense will show up early too. But the problem is, if Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Bouye shut down the guys on the outside, Brady will work the middle. He is Tom Brady. I think this game will be about halftime adjustments, and I think no one is better than the Patriots at that. So I'm going to say that even though the, the Jaguars hang in there, I think the Patriots' mental toughness, that's another thing. You know, you see right now the Jaguars are a very confident bunch, but I think that might hurt them in the long run because they do a lot of talking. And the last team you want to talk to and push around and kind of give those extra hits 
is the Patriots because Tom Brady gets his calls. So good friend of my own, Stuart, he's a frequenter on the podcast, is a big Jaguars fan, kind of the only one I know. And he told me earlier today, he says, it's going to go one of two ways. The first way, which I believe is going to happen, is the Jaguars are competitive and big boys and play big boy football early on. But towards the end of the game, a couple calls don't go their way, and they self-implode, and who better than Brady and Belichick to take advantage of a team that's self-imploding? And that kind of feels like the way it's going to be. Or they go out there and they give it 60 minutes of tough, hard-nosed football, and you show that you can beat anybody with a strong running game and a Class A defense. So we'll see how that goes. But I think that it will be Patriots. I will win 28 to 20. I think that's that's going to be my final score. Maybe a little bit closer, maybe 24-20, but I'll stick with 28-20. That they get maybe a, like a like a late touchdown to kind of like push their lead to eight, and uh, Jaguars can't get it done late in the game to uh, force overtime. So 28-20, I got Patriots going on to the Super Bowl. I would love to see the Jags win, but I just don't see it happening. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, in the NFC, I think Vikings are better than the Eagles in every aspect. First of all, the Eagles are taking this whole underdog thing a little too hard, right? Like, you're playing good teams. Yes, they're the underdogs to the Falcons. They're underdogs to the Vikings this week. And now they're putting on these dog masks. And apparently everyone in Philadelphia is going to be wearing a dog pa- mask. A little reminder, Browns are the dog pound. Nothing's changing. Have the dog thing this week. If you win and go to the Super Bowl, you can have it next week too. But stop taking it personally that you're underdogs to these teams, right? Like Carson Wentz went down with an injury. He was the MVP until he got hurt. Now, now that he's out, Nick Foles is in, and Nick Foles hasn't proven anything this season to show why he should win football games. Okay, they won 15 to 10 against Atlanta. That's 15 points isn't good enough by the offense. It was good enough because your defense kicked ass. But if you want to rely on 15 points again this week, you're you're going to lose. Okay, so let's let's stop saying that like, oh, we should be favorites. You know, oh, we're taking this underdog thing too far. Like, enjoy it now. Underdog the dog thing is the dog pound. I guess the Browns need to win games to actually get their slogan back, their fan base back, whatever. But stick to being eagles. Stick to being like a-holes, you know? Anyway, the Vikings, I think, are better at every position. That's just the bottom line. Uh, In the running game, I think they're about equal. Wide receivers, I I give a slight edge to Minnesota because their two starters are very good. I think Adam Thielen's one of the most underrated wide receivers in the NFL. Stephon Diggs, when he's healthy, can absolutely fly all over and make plays. And their tight end, Kyle Rudolph, I think is super underrated. And uh, and as a position group, they block. The tight ends block really well, too, for Minnesota. Lines are both very good. Quarterback play is both iffy, but Keenum has proven it all season long to be good. And their defense, as good as the Eagles' defense has been, the Vikings have been slightly better. So I think the Vikings are kind of like the team of destiny this year. I think they will win in Philadelphia in a, I think they're going to win by two scores. Uh, I know this could be a very tight game, but I think Minnesota goes to Philadelphia and wins 
24-14. And I think they're going to go to the Super Bowl. And we'll see how they do in the Super Bowl if they play New England. I hope New England, or I hope Minnesota wins. I hope, but if Philadelphia wins, I guess I'd be rooting for them against the Patriots. I'm just not going to be rooting for the Patriots in the Super Bowl. I have a cousin who's an Eagles fan. I have a cousin who's a Vikings fan. And I have a good friend who's a Jaguars fan. So I'll be rooting for any of those. I'm done with the mass holes rooting for Boston. Okay, before I take off, though, um, I want to do a one-minute movie review. This week I saw a movie called Commuter or The Commuter. Yes, it was a Liam Neeson movie. Uh, look, Anytime you sign up for like a Liam Neeson movie, as long as you know what you're going for, like there's no problem with anything, right? Like this was Martin Luther King Day, we had off, and I wanted to just go and watch a movie that was like, yes, that's that's all, you know, like shoot 'em up, enjoy it, and and that was it, right? Uh, my dad is a big, big fan of Liam Neeson. And, uh, and that was his choice to see this movie, and it went really well. So my one-minute movie review starts right now. Now, this is nonstop. The movie Nonstop, which was also a Liam Neeson movie, which was about uh, a plane that was on a transatlantic flight, received a, uh, this guy. He was a marshal. Uh, his name was Bill in the movie. Liam Neeson was an air marshal, and he gets like a threatening text message, and and like a, a list of demands, or people are going to start dying on the flight, and it made him look like the bad guy. This movie, The Commuter, was almost the same thing, except he wasn't get, having a list of demands. He was actually being offered money to kill a passenger, but he had to figure out what passenger it was. And they started cheating with the rules, and the person in charge was killing people on the train. So it was like, this was the same movie, right? Like, this, <laughs> it was, like, look, it was fun. You enjoyed it. Liam Neeson was giving you classic lines. He's like, you know, the retired cop that now sells insurance, he loses his job, he needs to pay for things, like this, you know, like his son's education in the house, and it's like, oh my gosh, we've seen this before. You know, we've seen this before. But that's okay. It's exactly what I wanted. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a cool ending, even though it was extremely predictable. But in terms of Liam Neeson movies, this was right in line. A plus all around. Uh, as long as you don't take it too seriously, if you're not like comparing this to La La Land or Avatar or something that was like, you know, some Oscar grab type movie, this is exactly what you want in a Liam Neeson film. You know, like this is under the John Wick category of just let me turn off my brain and fall for the typical like, oh, no way, like type spins at the end of the movie and you're going to enjoy it. So yeah, The Commuter was great. Also this week, finished season four of Black Mirror. Wow. Um, you know, I really liked the whole season. There wasn't an episode that I watched and I was bored. I was I was into all the episodes. Uh, I thought the themes in some of them were kind of hit on before, but I'd say four of the six episodes had new themes. I really actually liked the you know, and it's funny because 
I listened to a podcast that was ripping this episode, but I really liked the Metalhead episode because it kind of looked like the furthest one into the future, you know, like after tech has taken over the whole world, what we are in store for. And it was filmed in all in black and white. There was very little dialogue because it was basically about this woman who was on her own the whole time. It was very intense, but I think the way they incorporated music was really well. And uh, they did some slow motion scenes, some real interesting theme going on about dogs taking over the world. Uh, yeah, I, th I thought it was like a special episode and it was done really well. The Black Museum episode, which had <laughs> had references to 12 of the 18 former episodes in that episode alone. And like they did a really good job of drawing back to a lot of different episodes, which makes you think, okay, Black Museum, this is well in the future too. And it had kind of a sick ending and it incorporated new tech that we hadn't seen before, uh, which was also another really cool thing about this because, you know, we got to see new things, not like in the USS Caster where it was kind of like, okay, we're just doing cookies again, but we're just finding out, A, cookies are illegal in this in this, you know, updated world and uh and how to make the cookies were also different as well so but you know the the thing about the cookies is we knew going in that they existed and what they're all about so it was kind of like there was nothing new there it was just the treatment of them and the world that they were in so that one i was like i you know and but overall the whole season was really awesome uh, I'd love to have someone on and talk about Black Mirror, so I'm going to have to work on that for next week because it's tough to kind of just yell how awesome it is at a microphone because there's a lot to go into. But maybe I'll do a deep dive next week, you know, episode by episode, kind of recapping in, in each one because we've talked a lot of sports this episode. Uh, yeah, so this weekend, what else do we have? Oh, we also, I don't want to forget about The Bachelor. Uh, again, this season has not disappointed. You know, uh, it's down to 15 girls, and every time I think I know something about each girl, it turns out to be false. Uh, he's cut now three of my five favorite girls going into the season. Granted, that I made these picks before we got to meet any of them. We just saw their bios and their pictures, but... Wow, I would have been way off if we drafted then. Now, there are 15 girls left, so I'm going to contact my friends, see if we want to do a draft of the of the top 15, three girls a team, five teams, 15 girls, and go from there. Because, you know, spoiler alert, this week we lost Bibiana, Annalise, and I forget the third girl we lost. Oh, we lost uh, one of the Laurens, Lauren S., on a one-on-one -on -one date. And it looked like it was going so well. And then she talked her way into the biggest hole ever, where he was, like, so bored. And then he grabbed the rose and goes, I can't give this to you. Sorry. And she was just like, wow, okay, gonna go. And it was too bad. She was a very pretty girl. She was super nice. They were obviously getting along really well on their Napa Valley tour date. But the one thing I like about Ari is the moment he finds out he's not into one of these girls, he sends them packing. Even if he's into them a little bit, if he doesn't see a super future with them, he's done. And that's what happened to Annalise. I thought Annalise was going to be around for a while, but 
he hadn't kissed her yet. She had, like approached him about it, and he's like, I just don't think we're there. Even though they spent a ton of time together. You know, he spent a lot of time with this girl, and all he figured out is, I'm not going to end up with you. So even though he's much closer to Annalise than some of these other girls, he sent Annalise home because he's like, I know where this ends, and it's not going to be you getting the final rose. So he sent her packing, and it was wild. It was pretty crazy. Annalise was a bit dramatic on the show. I wanted to like her a lot more than I did because I think she's really pretty, and she seemed really nice and thoughtful and kind of like the wife material going in. But then... She had a traumatic experience with dogs, had a traumatic experience with bumper cars, and it kind of seems like she's just the traumatic experience type. Like, oh, every single thing ever, like, is going to bother her, and I don't think Ari has time for that. So, she's gone, and we have a top 15, and uh, the things we know are simple. Crystal is the bad guy, but she's going to be around for a while because he's obviously really attracted to her and really into her. Uh... Caroline is starting to become, like, Crystal's rival, I guess, because she's calling her out for her shit. Uh, Top-heavy Caroline. Uh, she looks like she'll be around for a little bit. And honestly, it's that's, like, all we know right now. He likes both Beccas, but, but they kind of seem like wild cards. One's a little too quiet, and the other seems like, you know, she challenges him. But he might not have time for that. He might just say, like, you know what? I don't have time for drama, and you won't even say your age. So, like, I don't know if this girl's 19 or if she's 40, because she looks really young, but they keep on trying to spin this whole age thing. She better be 19. And I know that sounds creepy, but this better be as dramatic as what they're leading up to, because if they lead it up to for a month and not tell us and kind of just have us thinking, what's it going to be, what's going to be, and then it comes to nothing, it's just going to be like a super letdown of being like, what, what are you What are you thinking? What are you doing? Like last year on The Bachelorette when they had, it looked like there was going to be a fight for like weeks with Kenny and Dean and all like the assholes on Bachelorette. And then it turns out, oh, no, it wasn't a fight. It was guys just talking shit. And then one guy was bleeding because of the activity they were doing. He like cut his eyebrow. And it's like, oh my God. He, like, hey. Props to ABC for their crap that they're able to do with the editing, but I'm not buying it this year. So we'll see going forward. I'll uh, start putting the point scale together and see how these girls start doing now that it's going to be heating up a little bit. But anyway, that's uh, that's my show this week. Episode 34, I think this was a big hit. Again, you can find me on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you're on one, you can check out the other uh, under the Jake or Jake Brainy. Search it, find it, subscribe. Rate five stars. Leave a comment if you like. Uh, what can I do to, you know, improve the show? What can I do? You want to hear more co-hosts? You want to hear different categories? Let me know. I respond to all feedback, positive or negative. Uh, retweet, like, share, literally everything you can do. Do it because I'm trying to get the podcast out there. I'm having a lot of fun with it. But uh, let's go. Let's expand a little bit. And I will see you all next week.
Focus. 